Certainly today, in our personal and professional world, we experience tensions, contradictions and dilemmas. So how do we bring our best self to these paradoxes, not to mention our best leadership self? Today I'm speaking with Professor Marianne Lewis, Dean of Cass Business School, about why we need a paradox mindset and how we might get one. Hi, this is Penny DeVolk. Welcome to Grit in the Oyster, a conversation about how we navigate our careers, our organizations, our lives as women leaders. Exploring its challenges, learning from others, sharing best practice, an opportunity to step out of the fray for a bit, to help you tune out some of the noise and tune into being the best leader you can be. Well, hello from Cass Business School in the City of London. It's my real pleasure today to be speaking with Professor Marianne Lewis. Marianne has been the Dean of Cass Business School and Professor of Management at Cass since 2015. She joined Cass after a decade as Associate Dean at the University of Cincinnati, having earned her PhD from the University of Kentucky and MBA from Indiana University. Marianne's work appears in Harvard Business Review, the Academy of Management Journal, Organisation Science, amongst others. And Professor Lewis was a UK Fulbright in 2014. Her paper, Exploring Paradox Toward a More Comprehensive Guide, received the Academy of Management Review Best Paper Award in 2000 and is among the most cited in the field. Marianne, I'm so delighted to be here today. Thank you for taking the time. Oh, my pleasure, Penny. Thank you. Um, I'm wondering if we could start off with a little about you, your story, and your career. I suppose my story is an academic story. Mm -hmm. I I've usually would say I'm an academic brat. <laughs> I grew up in Boston, Palo Alto, and a little bit in Fontainebleau. Okay. So you could probably guess some of the business yes. <laughs> schools that I grew up in. And my rebellion was to go to the Midwest of the U.S., find my own space, uh, which I loved there very much. But as I was beginning to study and then exploring how to practice business, mm -hmm. I realized that I focused more on what was being taught, how it was being taught, and the methods than on practicing. Okay. So I remained in academics. Mm -hmm. um, that's been a pleasure. I was, as you said, an associate dean for quite some time at Cincinnati and then have been here for about four years now. And I found that leadership is not only my passion as a researcher, mm -hmm. but also a way that I feel I can make the greatest difference. Okay. That's fine. What's the most rewarding thing that you find as a leader? I think as a leader, it's the opportunity to raise others. Mm -hmm. It's one of the beauties of education. Yeah. I believe in the power of learning at all levels. But as both a professor but also an administrator, it's ways that we can use programming to support students as individuals, help them find their passion, turn it into a career, make more of themselves and for others. And that might sound rather trite, but you see it every day mm -hmm. in my role. And it's what gets me up in the yeah. morning. Yeah, because you're right in the thick of it. I am. Yes. What's been the most challenging in your career as a leader? Probably the most challenging in some ways is pace. Mm. I tend to focus very much on innovation and I like things done yesterday. Yeah. So higher education can be rather slow yes. at times. Sometimes that's not a bad thing because we're studying and trying to push from behind more than uh, in front. Yeah. But I think it nonetheless has its frustrations. It does. Yeah. And we'd like to be pushing faster, yeah. especially in this day and age. Yeah, I understand that. Um, Marion, paradox. Mm -hmm. um, 
an increasingly prevalent word in today's organizations where contradictions are rife and often linear approaches are not that helpful. Why do you think the concept of a paradox has made its way into the leadership lexicon? When I started to work in this area about 20 plus years ago, I was literally told, don't use the word. Mm. Use tensions, use competing demands, use other elements to get at the dilemmas people face. But I've never seen them as dilemmas. Dilemmas are either or choices. Mm -hmm. Paradoxes mean interwoven contradictions, contradictions that you can try to pull apart. Mm -hmm. But actually, the more you try, or particularly the more you emphasize one over the other, the more the pressure from the other side intensifies. Mm -hmm. You must find both and solutions. And I think in this day and age, people have come to a recognition, maybe it's from beating your head against a wall enough times, that these aren't either or. And now we're seeing really nice recognition that that's the approach. Okay. We need to be paradoxical. So give me some examples sure. of some of those competing tensions, competing demands that are, you know, paradoxes what we might call tensions, dilemmas, either-ors. How would you flip them mm -hmm. to a paradox? Well, if I, if I start at, say, the more macro level, mm -hmm. and most of my research initially started at the strategy level, and now it's really gone down into the individual level, particularly for leaders. But if we think about strategy, yeah. I think about, for example, um, financial and social responsibility, innovation and efficiency, mm -hmm. local and global, issues that we hear quite a bit, especially mm -hmm. in an MBA type of world, yes. about needing to make decisions. But you might make a decision for today, you know, we're going to focus on making the more of our strengths rather than putting more into R&D. But that might be a decision for today, but tomorrow you're going to have to make that decision again. Yes. And in fact, it's the longer term forward thinking innovation that's going to become tomorrow's areas to exploit and to build efficiency around. And likewise, what you're doing today around your strength is exactly what you should be doing to fund the radical innovation because those are high risk, high reward yes. opportunities and most of them will fail. Yep. So you, I see them as two sides of the same coin and needing to have both the efficient and the radical innovation. But I could say the same for financial and social responsibility as an example. Mm. And we're seeing that much more awareness that you need both sides of those coins. Mm -hmm. And then if you drill down to the individual level, if I can kind of take it into levels. So if I, if I look at the strategy level, let's do the financial and social responsibility. You can see how organizations, I mean, a Paul Pullman with his work at Unilever yep. would play those two tensions, but yep. see them very paradoxically as needing to feed each other, define right. each other. But then you go to the organizational level and you think, okay, well then how are we going to structure? What are going to be our processes and systems? And every time you make a decision like that, you, you tend to separate and build new polar mm -hmm. polarizations. New, this unit's going to be focused mm -hmm. on social responsibility, this one on operations. That's good to one extent, but actually those separate groups also need to be thinking about the other themselves. Yes. And then if we drill all the way down into the leader, I've got to think about ways that I'm going to fuel and fund myself, mm -hmm. and at the same time, wake up in the morning energized and yes. feeling fulfilled. And not so, completely conflicted. And, and not confused. completely conflicted. Mm -hmm. And so to me, these are knotted mm. across levels. They're not just layered, they're actually interwoven. Yeah. And we need as leaders to be able to go to each of those three levels. We do. Yeah. And even broader. I mean, I was interested in your work. You talk about some of the, while we continue to see them as either or, 
and tensions that somehow if we put enough effort in, we will be able to get over this sort of vicious cycle of paradoxes and how we need the more we effort we put in to deciding where to put it. Actually, we get a huge counterforce against mm -hmm. that. Can you give me a sort of a, an extent or an example of how the more we try to either or think, mm -hmm. the more limited we are usually with the solution? One of my favorite examples is actually at the Lego Corporation and some of the challenges they faced in the early 2000s. And then it, it played off. It's a nice example to me because you can look back and you can see their vicious cycles becoming virtuous cycles. They had reached an, a level in the organization where they had had year after year profits for almost 100 years, yeah. which is truly remarkable. Yeah. But actually that level of consistent growth building on the same base made them a very insulated, strong, but very insulated organization. Mm -hmm. When that environment started to change quite a bit with digitalization, gaming, a host of other changes right. in the market, they swung the pendulum very hard, which is often what I see. You, you go from one side to all the way the other extreme. They went for radical innovation, textbook radical innovation, mm -hmm. until they had lost their focus on their values, on their costs, on really the foundations. So here they were pumping out new products and innovation at an incredible rate, and it led them to the bank brink of bankruptcy. Step in, a new leader start to say, okay, but we have to have both. We have to think about what, what are our mm -hmm. values, what's our base, and how do we thrill our loyal fans and think to time. the future. Yeah. But that's at an organizational level. We see that all the time at an individual yes. level. We swing, we swing that pendulum. Mm -hmm. Um, some of the work that we've been doing recently, my, my co-authors and I, goes to that individual level. And I think about women leaders in particular often with this case. But And it's certainly not only women, but I hear it quite a bit. The, the work-life balance mm -hmm. situation. Mm. They are both two sides of our lives. Yes. And in fact, both they legitimate do, and both need Very honoring. legitimate. <laughs> and actually, they fuel each other mm -hmm. for exactly the same purposes. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we can find ourselves completely workaholic, focused on one sense yeah. until we have burnt ourselves out and realized we've overlooked people we care about very much. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, you swing it back over. You focus on your family, your loved ones, your personal aspirations. The next thing you know, it, you've realized, oh, I do need to work. And we find that in all parts of our lives. But the question is then, what sort of an overarching umbrella do we mm -hmm. need to build that can hold them together? Yeah. Can let us engage with those tensions on an ongoing basis? So if we could maybe explore some of the, we've, you've talked about vicious cycles, some of the polarizing effects mm -hmm. of our either or thinking. And you started strategically at sort of like social justice and economic efficiency, for mm -hmm. example, which a lot of our political world has been created around. Absolutely. You have to make a call about one or the other. Can you give me a flavor for what the, what the challenges or what do you observe in terms of paradoxical thinking or having a paradox mindset that we might be able to bring to mm -hmm. the natural polarization and tribalism that seems to be occurring in our thinking currently? Some of the work that we've done around a paradox mindset is to examine underlying differences in the way people think. Mm -hmm. And if we dive all the way down to basic assumptions that we make, we see some very big differences that also could lead to rather simple shifts. So I'll give you a couple of examples. One is the nature of resource. 
Mm-hmm. If we think about a scarcity mindset, scarcity mindset pulls us into the either or. We're thinking about how do we slice the pie? Yep. But when you slice a pie, there are winners and losers. It furthers that polarization, whether it's political in literally the political re- arena or in our office or mm-hmm. in our personal life. Mm-hmm. But an opposite approach is an abundance mindset. Mm-hmm a different kind of assumptions. If uh, Diamandis and others have written about this topic, but the idea of how do you grow the pie? It's a shift in the way we think. Yes, I might have to make a decision about resource today, but the, we start to shift it. Now I'm gonna put resource into one mm-hmm. element so that that area can grow to fund the other. Mm-hmm. And it's both and. Now rather than competing for resources, mm-hmm. we some think about sort of how to- zero sum game. Exactly. Mm-hmm. We don't want to get into that. Mm. Or a prisoner's dilemma or any sorts of gaming that ends up actually harming one side for the yeah. other to win. Because in the, sh- in the longer run, nobody wins. Yeah. Really interesting. So women, for example, you reference that, Marianne, in leadership roles, as we know, can experience this double bind of needing to be likable and warm as per their gender role expectations and competent and firm in their leadership role expectations, which many can actually find contradictory. Is this what you would call an oppositional tendency? Mm -hmm. It is. And and I certainly don't think it's it's a, only for women, but I think women tend to have it actually made quite salient. I mean, I can give you examples. When I first arrived um, as dean here at CAS, I had a couple of events. I do a lot of events. And after one event, I had somebody come up to me and say, you, you can't wear that. You need to be in a dark suit. You're sitting here on the doorstep of the city of London. You need to be wearing black suits. And we had, we had this whole conversation, and I kind of walked away just thinking, Wow. Really? And literally within probably two days, I had another event and I had someone walk up to me and say, you should be softer. You should wear more colors. You should be. And I, I'm not sure anybody would walk up to a, a man, man and give him that advice. And ask any advice, <laughs> give them any advice on, on what anything, they're wearing. Let, what they're yes, wearing. exactly. <laughs> and here I'm thinking, okay, one side, be a man, be more masculine, be that firm, look very professional. On the other hand, be warm, be welcoming. And the, the truth is, it has to be both. Yeah. And at our best, I think we can be disciplined and firm. And at the same time, people know it's because we're caring. It's that yeah. classic tough love. If mm-hmm. that's not a paradoxical concept, I don't know what is. Yeah. And those of us good at it, and I'm not saying that I am. You can ask my children. It's, <laughs> it is powerful, though, from parenting mm-hmm. to leadership to be both sides. Mm-hmm. Because then when I give feedback, when it's firm, you're listening. And at the same time, I'm not being abusive or even yeah, bullying. It's coming from good intent. It's coming from good intent mm-hmm. because I want what's best for you. Mm-hmm. And if I tell you like it is, we can work together on yeah. it. It's not about me winning and no. you losing. No, yeah. back to that mindset. It's interesting. So you also talk about um, the paradox of belonging. How might that play out in an organization? The paradox of belonging is probably one of my favorite paradoxes, and it was it was written up particularly by um, in a book by Smith and Berg called The Paradoxes of Group Life. If I could say maybe overarching in a succinct yeah. way, the paradox of belonging is the more individual and distinctive we are within a group, the stronger the group, mm-hmm. the more cohesive the group. So it sounds ironic that a cohesive group is actually made up of distinctive individuals, mm. but that's exactly what it is. It's not fragile. In fact, it's nurturing of that individuality. And if you look at diversity, the power of diversity is in differences. Diversity and inclusion, even as concepts, can come into that 
You can feel the tension, yep. almost tug of war. The idea of the paradox of belonging is if you make a truly safe environment, meaning safe to fail, to be yourself, mm -hmm. to speak, to add voice to your concerns, the stronger the group becomes. Mm -hmm. Now, I think it's key though that, that that voice, those distinctions are respectful. They think about how, do, how are you adding to this group? Yeah. Doesn't mean how are you becoming one of the sheep, mm -hmm. but it does mean that you're thinking about a greater good yeah. while you are being yourself. And by building that belonging, now I have a place to truly be me and to be respected for that and to make the whole group stronger. That's very interesting. So if many of these polarities are socially constructed, um, and if we look at organizational life, how do you see some of the work on things like diversity and inclusion and even unconscious bias playing out in organizations today? I do think these polarities are greatly socially constructed. And maybe, maybe not the underlying polarities like masculine, feminine, but if you take it to the gendered level, it's how mm -hmm. we're interpreting yep. those polarities. How do we actually construct the differences? Mm -hmm. Interesting work from early psychology actually stresses that we build our own distinctions, whether it's labels by what it is, what A and not A. So we actually define ourselves and things around us uh -huh. by their opposites. Yep. But those are social constructions. Yep. Where, so, where unconscious bias and other issues come into play is that we do it for such a period that we completely take it for granted. We are not aware that we're making these kinds of distinctions. Mm -hmm. And we're polarizing even in the language that we use, mm -hmm. the way we're applying our perceptions. I think part of a paradox mindset is really about questioning, being critical thinkers on ourselves as well as others, uh -huh. and becoming more aware of that those biases, questioning our underlying yeah. assumptions. So some leaders thrive on those tensions and they some do. struggle with them. Mm -hmm. So what is it about someone who would find, you know, create a paradox mindset that, that was their autopilot as opposed to the real struggle? What, what is it about those leaders who thrive and get energized by paradoxes and those who really get drawn down? Well, I, I used the example before of Paul Pullman, and, and I do love his example. Um, Paul was, uh, is an alumni at my former institution, and I used to also take students and visit Unilever at a host of different places around the world. And in talking with Paul and then seeing it play out at Unilever, what struck me is that his practice and language followed each other so closely and right. throughout the organization. So, for example... Paul would say, if you bring me the answer to a complicated question, I will tell you to go look harder because there's no chance there's one answer. I want the tensions on the table because they will enable our creativity and a much better solution when we pull them together. So I talked so about- So that was a leader who said, I want to see- I the want them. Bring Make the them. tensions visible and yes. then we can actually do something because with it. Because they're powerful yeah. in a positive way. Yeah. And you bring me the solution, then it's masking one of the tensions, yes, you've and that will pop up at it. some stage, I agree. and yes. uh, and bite us, or it adds to the risk of the solution. Mm -hmm. Really interesting. Um, so, how can we as leaders tap into this positive potential of paradox? Well, I think some is to follow the example I I just shared mm -hmm. and think about whether it's in meetings or in problem solving, in broader consultations. How do we make sure that we're encouraging people's voice to put the tensions on the table? Mm -hmm. Don't, there will always be a dominant, dominant voices, 
most likely they will be on one side or they will be polarized to very extreme sides. Yeah. The more differences of opinion we get, the more we can actually see the shades of gray. Mm -hmm. We can start to work together to think about the overarching. But I think it begins as a leader with getting the differences on the table mm. and really thinking about then, again, as the leader, what's the overarching connection? Because if you could rise a level or two above, and I'm talking levels of abstraction, yes, yeah. you can think, what's our higher purpose? We might be disagreeing of A versus B, but if our real goal is this overarching C, let's think about how these fit yeah. together. We go back to the resources, what do we do today versus tomorrow? How do we enable these pieces to support each other mm -hmm. and build our bigger purpose? I think it's much more fulfilling as yeah. well. And keep going up. So everyone it, is at least yes. agreeing on the why and then keep working around the tensions around the how and the yeah, what. Exactly. Mm. And you said in terms of on an individual basis, um, being able to really look at ourselves, be self-reflective, uh, be really aware of what we're bringing to our own thinking and mm -hmm. our own um, relationships with both our people and well, people in our lives. Um, have you seen individuals who have really, you've, you've referenced a leader, mm -hmm. for someone who is working in a large global corporate uh, with huge tensions, A, in their personal and their professional lives, mm -hmm. how might they start embarking on building a paradox mindset and muscle for themselves? I think one of the first steps is to actually identify your own personal tensions, maybe not at the strategic level, but mm -hmm. more at the personal it could be the work and family. It could be the humility and confidence. It could be a host of areas where you say, I feel them myself. I live them on a daily basis and step back and think, how do I manage those contradictions on a daily basis? Mm -hmm. How do I oscillate between opposing needs? It takes practice right. to build comfort. I think the other piece I would add in I give you a different example. I don't know if you've stump, you've read any of the work of Brene Brown yes. and Daring yep. Greatly, and I'm I'm such a fan of her work. Yep. And I've spoken to her briefly about the paradoxical nature of vulnerability and courage, mm -hmm. which she talks about a great deal. She doesn't typically use the word paradox, but they are very it's there. much it's completely right there. at the heartland of her work. And yep. if you are going to be brave, it starts with putting yourself out yep. there, getting in the arena, yep. as she would say. Yeah. But I think whether it's for any leader or aspiring leader, you have to be ready and mm -hmm. willing to get out there mm -hmm. and then manage the failures because they'll come Yeah, and that's all right. Yeah. Manage the failure and, ex and as you say, the courage, which means exposing yourself to the risk yes. of that. Yeah. Um, okay, so would you say that being able to work with paradoxes and refusing either or is actually a critical leadership skill today? I do, mm -hmm. I think it's absolutely critical. Mm -hmm. I think it's hard. I've, Personally, I think it is hard to find a really effective global leader that hasn't gotten good at this. They mm -hmm. wouldn't be in their positions without it. There's been some wonderful work, as example, coming out of Oxford, where they were doing studies at the C-level, C particularly CEOs and chairs. And not surprisingly to me, yeah. is one of the biggest characteristics they found across all of the leaders was a paradox mindset. Interesting. But to me, it's not because that's what makes them a great leader. It's what actually got them into those leadership roles. And now they're continuing to work on it on a daily basis. And is that something that at CAS you're conscious of building that capability in the future leaders? It is. It's something, and we can think about it in different ways. We, we think about it in leadership courses and 
the work I'll teach, for example, but others, how do we help students and rising managers and leaders learn to manage those tensions? But we can also even build it into the curriculum. You can stand back and as you're looking at an entire program, say, okay, where's discipline being taught? Where are the human skills? Mm -hmm. Where's technology being developed? And where's that ability for social interactions? And so you can actually see different sides playing out in a curriculum, as well as, say, within an individual course mm -hmm. or module where you can have that interplay. So you can actually design it you can design into your it. learning. You absolutely can. And as an individual, you could design it into your learning in a, in a very intentional way yourself yes. by refusing those either-ors and just going always with the frame of reference of both abundance and both and. And both and. Mm. Because women leaders, what many would say they live the paradox mindset, um, will getting good at it be an advantage to women in their organization, do you think? I think it absolutely will, because so much of what we struggle with in organizations is conflict, scarce resources, mm. competing demands. If we can manage these in our own lives, we're much better capable of managing them in teams, let alone at organizational levels. I think one of the challenges for women and all leaders is to learn how to communicate paradoxes to others and help other individuals manage their own. And so that you're not just walking the walk, you're helping others do the yeah. same. And literally teaching them literally to shift their them. own frame of reference. Yes. And have you seen that being done really well when you've seen leaders be able to demonstrate it and in fact quite intentionally teach people to put the tensions on the table and not always default to, which I think historically we always have, uh, just default to either or, win-lose. Where have you seen individuals really be able to bring that to bear? I've seen it from a number of individuals, and it does tend to be at the highest levels okay. that you see this yeah. most often. Um, I'll give you a different example. Mutar Kent, who just stepped down as chairman of Coca-Cola, is also the chair of our board here mm -hmm. at CAS, and it's it's a pleasure to work with him. And the one I hear most often talked about by Mutar is this global local. And for him, particularly at Coca-Cola, he's talking about arguably one of the world's largest brands, yeah. if not the largest, well-known brands. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, particularly given their sector, the need to respect and cultivate local differences. Local differences from taste, yes. we're talking about beverages, down to supply chains. And so how do you leverage the strength of global, global brand, global mm -hmm. scale, those types of opportunities with the local distinctions of personal tastes, supply chain differences that go all the way from big box stores down to individual salespeople, yep. whether you're in Africa or India. I've heard these beautiful examples he gives, but by always keeping those examples at the forefront, and he's talking about a very broad level, now he can dive right into a very specific issue. We could be dealing with a CAS or in an individual group situation and say, now let's think about that here. Yeah. It, we might not be talking about global local. We might be talking about efficiency and innovation we might talk about what's decentralized versus centralized but, but let's once play again, through he puts this the again. tensions on the table he does and almost gives people permission, permission. to I like start that. doing that's a nice both way of thinking yeah, about it. as opposed to using our autopilots and that's very senior levels Marianne what advice would you have for um, you know managers moving their way through their career and often finding themselves actually in an environment where an abundance mindset is probably the last thing they're going to be able to put on the table, maybe to their boss, where resources are constrained, time is constrained, mm -hmm. 
bandwidth is constrained, um, you know, more people doing lots, pace and intensity of their work. So right. actually getting time to do quality thinking is the last thing they get to That's do. So true. Um, it's a challenge for it those a challenge. people, particularly maybe, you know, C minus four, you know, yes. and they can see this, you know, great leadership happening up there where a paradox mindset has really um, supported mm -hmm. them well. And on their way through, they may well have managers who actually, whose mindset is a completely different frame of reference. How would they potentially thrive in that well, environment? I, I have seen some very good junior managers mm -hmm. rising with this approach. And, and you made the comment of they might not be able to put a, an abundance mindset forward, but I actually think they can yeah. they might not use that language but part of this is them deciding when they're planning their own time mm -hmm. or their small team around them what happens today versus tomorrow and then presenting that to their superiors mm -hmm. so that yes they're slicing the pie but they're also growing it for the longer term they need their supervisor their subordinate uh, superior sorry to understand that so that they don't stay too far on one side. Yeah. If you've okay. said, I'm focused yeah. on this today, but I must shift tomorrow, mm -hmm. I'm going to need your help to do that. But people around me are building that understanding so I can compartmentalize mm -hmm. the way that we're doing this. I'm afraid if you if you separate and say, we're going to focus on this today, your, your temptation yeah. is not to swing to tomorrow. And you will stay there. And you'll stay there because you mm. get comfortable. Everything starts to work. You put your head down, and the next thing you know, it, it's Five the, years in, it's and five that, years and that ago. Why goal yes. is looking very well, muddy and murky. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you, it does take quite a bit so of discipline. It's a, yeah, it's a good discipline, and it's a skill set, and it takes, as you say, courage and confidence. It does. To and being be able, able to, to lead up yes, as well as down exactly. in that approach, because I think that's an excellent point that you raise. You have to be able to communicate this around so people understand. As I say, there's a method to the madness. Yes. You. You. Yeah. In our, our Harvard Business Review, Wendy Smith and I wrote about the need to be consistently inconsistent which might sound like you're sending mixed messages. Mm -hmm. But the point is you keep people understanding, no, the big message, the big umbrella, is that we are doing both. When I'm doing one or the other, it's because that's what's needed today. Mm -hmm. That's what's needed in this very specific situation. But as a leader, and for my own self sake, I'm going to keep remembering that it's this big picture that's we're moving towards. Yeah. And I think that's very important, or you will get stuck in the mm -hmm. either. Mm. So we need to, as with everything in our leadership, demonstrate this and be quite clear yes. about why we're doing things. Mm -hmm. Because it will be very easy for people to badge it as inconsistent. Or, oh, well, waffling, I thought you said that. Yeah. Oh, oh, I need oh, clarity. You, you know, yes. I want this more black and white. So you have to be very firm. I'm not changing my mind. This is my mind. This is my mind, exactly. And this is how I approach it. And this is the frame of reference that we will be making decisions around, whether yes. it is about how we do things around here or what resources go to where. Mm. That's fascinating, Marianne. Um, listen, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. I'm, I'm wondering in closing, what advice would you have for my listeners who are primarily women leaders navigating their career from both a paradox mindset perspective, but also from a very successful female leader? Any advice you would have in closing? Well, my advice would be to go back to the Brene Brown example yeah. and be willing to put yourself out there. Because I've seen remarkable women leaders, and what strikes me again and again is their tremendous courage to go ahead and work through the tensions and take 
take on the challenges that are associated. But the outcomes are re truly remarkable, and you build learning, mm -hmm. and you build confidence, mm -hmm. even through the failures. Because what you learn is to be confident that even when you fail, you'll succeed in the yeah, long run. exactly. And it builds that resilience. That's brilliant. So, yes, step into the arena. Step into the arena. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Beth. It's a, it's great, a pleasure. great pleasure. Thank you. Marianne Lewis. Thanks for listening to Grit in the Oyster. If you're enjoying our conversations, do subscribe, rate and review us on iTunes. And stay in touch. Penny at pennydevolk.com. <laughs>